Christmas. And to be able to speak on today, one of the holiest days of the year, is really a blessing for me. You all look a little confused. Today is Yankees opening day. First pitch at 105, so you don't have to worry about me going late. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, please. What did you say? Blasphemy over there? What? We're continuing our study of the life of David, the good and the bad. 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. So as I was saying, we are studying the life of David so that we can learn the good things from David. We can also learn the mistakes of David. And also frequently in David there is a Christ type. And we're actually going to get to see that, although all those things today, um, Lord willing. So let's begin in uh, verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekur, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray. Father God, before we spend our time in this word, in this magnificent story, we want to look to you first. We thank you for your words, uh, which guide us and lead us, uh, not into how we should live, but into the very heart of God. And so as we study this morning, may we deepen our understanding of who you are, whose we are, and how we are to be. Lord God, help us to grow in this way. We thank you again that you have given us this word that we may know you and all the things of your heart. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So right here, David has now unified uh, the kingdom. Thank you very much. Whoa! So 
So David has now unified the kingdom. Um, we're coming out of the, uh, the last message we had where David wanted to build a house for God. He looks at his palace and he says, look at all I have. And God's in a tent. And he offers to God, I'm going to build you a house. God says, no, that is not for you. And then David has a little more battles, a few more battles to do with Philistia. And he begins unifying the kingdom. And now David comes to this place and he remembers his promise to Jonathan. He says, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then down to verse 3 he says, is there not still anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And that is the whole key to everything that we're looking at today. It is the kindness of God. David is not just looking to show gentleness and mercy. He's not just looking to be thoughtful. This is a higher degree of kindness than almost man's consciousness can recognize. It's a kindness that is more than just help. You know, you can be kind and hold the door open for someone. You can be kind and, and buy the homeless guy a cup of coffee outside uh, the, the convenience store when you walk in. Those are all kind things and those are all good things. But when we see a term like the kindness of God, it's different. It's completely different. And what David is going to do for Mephibosheth is exceptional. It's exceptional. Let's turn back real quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 20 to David's promise to Jonathan. We actually looked at this story earlier in the, in the beginning. And here, this is the time when David's being attacked by King Saul and he's making this agreement with Jonathan to go find out from the king how bad it is while David's in hiding and he's going to come back and let him know. So in 1 Samuel 20, beginning um, in verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, indeed there is good toward David and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so much, do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. We'll turn back to 2 Samuel 9. Do you see what, what, what Jonathan asked for there? He didn't say, be good to my family. Take care of them. He specifically and explicitly said, the kindness of the Lord. I think this leads into a deeper understanding and clarification of the actual relationship between David and Jonathan. Their intimacy with God, knowing him to this level, is an intimacy they share with each other, which is why they're better than best friends. They're brothers in God, because they both know what the kindness of God is. That is what is to be sought 
between people who love each other and between the people of God. It is the kindness of God. It is not the kindness of man. It is higher than mercy. It is higher than thoughtfulness. It is higher than generosity. And that is exactly what David says he's willing to do here. I want to show the kindness of God. The kindness of God. You've seen it every time in every movie. Whenever there's a kingdom in the movie and there's a transfer of power, what's the first thing the new king wants to do? Kill off all the heirs of the old guy so there's no threat to his kingdom. What David is doing is outside the realm of any normal king. This is not what kings do. First thing they do is they slaughter all their enemies so there is no threat to the kingdom. And what is David promising here? I want to show the kindness of God. It's a kindness that David has experienced up till now throughout his life. He has been redeemed. He has been saved. He has kept from persecution. God has helped him defeat the lion and the bear. God has helped him defeat Goliath. He has established him as king. He has protected him through Saul's attacks and and hunting him through the wilderness. All these things bring David to a place where he goes, I know what the kindness of God is. Only God could have done for me what I have experienced up to this time in my life. Only the kindness of God. The kindness of God is a... I tried to think of ways to define it because it is, it is of God. And it's hard to put words to the things of God. But what we're going to see here is it's a delivering kindness. It's a providing kindness. It's more than just a help for the moment. What David is going to do for Mephibosheth, what we saw here when he puts him at his table, he's taking him from his place and putting him in a new place. He's putting him in a new place. The word that's used here for kindness, kased, if I'm pronouncing it right, is used over 240 times in the Old Testament. I forgot the number. And just in the Psalms, it's 140 times or something crazy like that. It's a word that's frequently used. If you, I really will encourage you to do this. This will really deepen your relationship with God, I think. If you've got, especially an electronic Strong's Concordance, and you look up that word, and you find out all the places it's listed in Scripture, and you look at the moments that it is used, and the times in people's lives when, when this word is used, it will really help you deepen I think your understanding of what the kindness of God is. When, when Lot is leaving Sodom and Gomorrah before the angels are going to destroy those cities and they tell him to go up into the mountains and he looks up and he goes, I can't make it that far. Can I go to that place over there? The mercy of the angel says, yes. You, that's the same word used there. You can go there. I will spare that place for you but you better go there now. When Rahab is helping the Israelites as they come into Jericho at the wall, this is the mercy that she's asking for. Show me your mercy. Remember me when I help you now. That's exactly what they do because Rahab now becomes separated from that place and becomes a part of them and, and the history of Israel and our Lord. Turn with me to Exodus 15, please. This is the song that Moses and the children of Israel sing unto the Lord 
as they leave Egypt. In Exodus 15, beginning in verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You in your mercy, there's our word, have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Same word, translators like to use mercy. You can find loving kindness, you can find kindness, you can find mercy. All these different phrases, but it's telling the same thing. What are they proclaiming about God? He took them out of there and he put them over here. That's the kindness of God. The kindness of God says, this is not going to be your station. I'm taking you out of there and I'm putting you here. And this is what David is seeking to do. Turn with me to Psalm 31. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul and adversaries and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. I'm going to stop there. You saw the couple times where we saw the word mercy. Again, it's appealing to God and recognizing God for this one thing that only God can do. And it's called the kindness of God. It's taking someone out of a position that they can't and putting them in the place with him. Back to 2 Samuel 9, please. Now, Mephibosheth has been in hiding since he was five years old. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we don't need to turn there, um, but that's where the story of his infirmity comes from. When the kingdom falls, his nurse grabs him and runs and falls. And Mephibosheth is injured and never walks again. He's called lame. If we look at verse 3, this is also a telling indicator of Ziba's character, by the way. King said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. He doesn't identify him even by his name. To Ziba, he's just a cripple. He's just a broken person that he has to take care of. He, he doesn't even have the, enough value to have a name. What's David's response? Ooh, I don't know. I didn't know that before I asked. Eh, no, no, not at all. David just says, where is he? Where is he? 
you know, there's there's a uh, there's there's a being that loves to betray us that way. There's one that loves to go before God and says he's lame. He has no value. He's broken. He's not whole. You don't want that. You know what God says? Where is he? Where is he? It's mine. I will take him. I will take him. Never causes God hesitation. I want to encourage you this morning. We, we're going to look at this a little bit deeper a little bit later, I hope. But just from this thought, Mephibosheth's injury is not his fault. But he has to live with it the rest of his life. Most of us have that. And to some degree. There is some, some wound. There's some wound. It's not even your fault. God doesn't care. He doesn't see it. He just loves you and he wants you. <laughs> Don't let that hold you back. Don't let that lie. Don't let that lie say you're lame. You're not whole. Because God has a kindness that says, I don't see you that way. You're coming with me. You're mine. You're going to sit at my table. Don't believe the lie. There's a, there's a song I like by a Christian musician named, named Derek Webb. And he's got this great line. He says, I got a lobbyist in the devil, but I found salvation in a rebel. There's a lobbyist, and he's trying to put you down. You can't believe it. He wants to put that word in your head and make that picture. How many times? This is, this is about from the time that Mephibosheth gets hurt till now. is about 15 years in his life. He's probably about 20 years old. So this happened when he's five. He's been in hiding this whole time because he's afraid for his life. And people have hid him. How many times has he been told he's lame? How many times has he been put down? And said, you're not a whole man. Stay over there. Just sit over there. You're not even a man. All David wants is, where is he? And David sends and brings him out of the house of Machir. Now when Mephibosheth comes before David, he prostrates himself, he falls on his face, and he says, here is your servant. There could be anger. You know, I, I've been like this because of you. Because you took the kingdom from my grandfather, I got hurt. I've had to be in hiding and living in misery because of you. And that throne belongs to me because I'm a descendant of Saul. And you know what Mephibosheth says? Here is your servant. He falls before David in humility. And David makes the promise to him. I'm going to show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Again, Mephibosheth says, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Not, as he, not only is, it, is he as worthless as a dog in his own mind, 
but a dead dog. I have no value. I have nothing to offer you. (laughs) Dave says, come sit at my table. Come sit at my table. What a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ David is in 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 this story. I don't have anything to offer God. I have nothing that's worth him coming to to save me for. I don't offer him anything. Come sit at my table continually. Look at the promise David makes in verse 11. As he's telling Ziba that you and your sons are going to work the land for him, he says, but Mephibosheth, your master's son shall eat at my bread at my table always. In verse 11, David says, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. He's not just a guest in the house that is going to be annoying after a while and you're wondering when he's going to leave. He's, he's, he's one of the king's sons now. The king's sons sit at a table of privilege. At a table of privilege. He's going to be a participant in all the conversations with the king. All the things the king shares with his sons. Mephibosheth is going to get to participate in that. All the glorious banquets. Mephibosheth is going to participate in those. Breakfast, when they talk about their day, he's probably there. When they sit around the table and say, how was your day? Mephibosheth is going to be there. All the plans of the king, all the desires he has for his sons and their future, Mephibosheth gets to share in that. Do you know that's who you are? Do you know that's the table you sit at? If you accepted the king's invitation, that is the table you sit at. You get to share in the king's plans. You get to share in his desires. You get to share in all the things that he loves and he looks forward to. And you get to share in his son, who is the centerpiece of the table. How wonderful it is when we get to gather on Sunday mornings and sit around the table together and focus on that one beautiful thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to enjoy that. We sit at the king's table and we're a son. We're an heir. Holy and completely. That's the good part of David. And uh, I, I, I could just stay on this topic the whole time and I'm sure you would hopefully be blessed by it. But there's some failures in this story that we have to look at from David as well that we need to learn from. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Now, Absalom, David's son, has now tried to take the kingdom from him, and David has had to flee. So in verse 1 of chapter 16 of 2 Samuel, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the 
wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And then the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, my king. This is one of the most tragic decisions in David's life, I think, up there with Bathsheba. He doesn't get the evidence. He should know Mephibosheth by now. He's been at his table for years. He should know by now who Mephibosheth is. And he just takes Ziba's word for it. Well, he didn't come. He stayed there. This is an overreaction on David's part. In Proverbs 18, it says, He who gives an answer before he hears... It is folly and shame to him. And in verse 17 of Proverbs 18, it says, The first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. David should have looked into this deeper before he gave away what he promised Mephibosheth to Ziba. Turn with me to chapter 19. Four years later now, David is back. Now he's back in Jerusalem. In verse 24 of 2 Samuel 19, Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather, let him take it all. Inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his own house. Two very different responses to what's happened to David from Ziba and Mephibosheth. Second mistake in this with David I think David should have gone back to Ziba and said, you lied to me, you get nothing. I'm giving it all back to Mephibosheth. He doesn't owe him anything because he lied to him. David is kind of acting like an irritated parent with two bickering kids. You know? I found it was an extremely effective parenting method. You want to fight about it? You got two halves. Have a nice day. Think about that next time you want to fight about it. And that's kind of what David does. And you know what? David is wrong. But thank God for the story we have of Mephibosheth, who when David encounters him, is disheveled, hasn't washed, hasn't changed. He has been in mourning since the king left. So the question is, what has the world to offer that we desire more than the Lord himself? 
Is our heart like Zeba? I'll take what I can get. Or is our heart like Mephibosheth? I will live my life like I'm waiting for my king. Now, that doesn't mean be disheveled and don't bathe. <laughs> Definitely does not mean that. A, a commentator, um, I, you know, I forgot to write down his whole name, but his name is Morgan from the 1800s. Um, he said this, It is a great and glorious thing when our loyalty and love make us far more concerned about the victories of our Lord than about our own unquestioned rights. Yet that should be the normal attitude of all who sit at the king's table. Our only concern should be with the king. Not what we get here. Mephibosheth could care less about that land because he had enjoyed time at the king's table. Maybe Ziba didn't, and so he didn't know what he was missing. But Mephibosheth puts everything in perspective. Let him have it all. It's no value to me because I have you. I have you. You are the king. As long as you are king, everything is right. There's one more story that um, I will just tell you about so we don't have to turn there, but it's in chapter 21 um, where there's a famine. Since you're all turning there, we'll turn there. Um, in Second Samuel 21, there's a famine. So when David inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. See, the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. God is still bringing discipline on Israel because of the failures of Saul. So David goes to the Gibeonites and says, tell me what you want. Tell me what you want, and we'll make peace, because we have to settle this before God. And they said to the king in verse 5, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us. We will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. Who's a descendant of Saul? Mephibosheth. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And he goes down and lists the other, the seven men that David finds. How wonderful is this? He spares him. He spares him. Judgment has to come. Things have to be reconciled. But David spares Mephibosheth. And another goes in his place. Turn with me very quickly before we close to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll close with these thoughts. Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich 
in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see the story of Mephibosheth foretells what God does through Jesus Christ. The kindness of God that can only come from God. No one else can complete what God does. A redeeming, life-changing, position-altering kindness. Turn with me real quick to Titus chapter 3. Very similar. Titus 3, beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. By the way, you know what that's called, right? That's lame. That's the lame man. That is a broken, incomplete human being. Lame. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The kindness of God, He has made us heirs. We sit at the king's table. Please take the time to meditate and enjoy the kindness of God that he has shown us in Jesus Christ because you will not find that anywhere else. You cannot find that anywhere else. I don't care what the kindest person who ever walks the planet does does not compare to what God has done through Jesus Christ. The kindness of God. I'm trying to think of an adjective and and nothing, nothing completes my thought. His ways are higher than the heavens. So great is the kindness of God which he has shown towards us in Christ Jesus. Meditate on what that is and what that costs. I will close, and then we'll have our corporate prayer time. Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful this morning for the kindness that you have shown us in Christ Jesus. To take us in our brokenness, being lame, unwhole, incomplete, and saying, come sit at my table and enjoy all the benefits of a son. Lord God, all we can say is thank you. We thank you and we consider the tremendous cost of the life of Jesus Christ, his suffering and his anguish, that we could enjoy this blessing, not because of anything we have done, but solely by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
We exalt our King this morning. And we thank you so much for what he has done and who he is. Thank you that we get to sit at your table and enjoy the mind of the King, the heart of the King, fellowship with the King. Father God, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.